what are you personally uh, most excited about right now, Trey? Getting healthy, man. Straight up. And it's not a number. It's not a number on a scale. Let me say that. It is a lifestyle that I can sustain from now on. I'm just going to sweat for 90 minutes every day. You know, I'm going to be the type of guy who doesn't eat until after 11 and he stops eating by six. You know, I'm going to be the kind of guy who reads 10 to 20 pages of a nonfiction book every day to keep my mind sharp. I'm going to be the kind of guy who tries to spend intentional time with my wife and my kids with regularity every single week. That's what I'm most excited about right now. And every single thing that just came out of my mouth was not work, which makes me even more excited. Well, hey there. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Today, I get to share with you a conversation that I have with my friend, Trey Shineman. Now, Trey currently serves as the chief marketing officer for the Ask Method company, and that's a fairly new gig for him. So I'm so excited because we talked some about that new role and some about the decision to step into that new role in this conversation. But prior to that, Trey worked for Ramsey Solutions. That's where I got to know him. And prior to that, he worked for the John Maxwell company. You ever heard of John Maxwell? Uh, so this This guy is just a marketing savant. He understands the craft as well as anyone I've ever met, and he's passionate about the craft. But just as much as that, uh, he's just an incredible leader and an incredible person that is deeply committed to practicing healthy growth. And so there's so much that I wanted to dive into with Trey in this conversation. But where I wanted to start is for you to understand his perspective and his philosophy behind what is marketing. Marketing, I, I think that there's an adage out there that has made its rounds on the internet for a decade or so that's, you know, kind of right message, right person, right time. But I, I do genuinely think at the core of marketing that marketing is service more than anything else. It's it's making the complex simple. It's meeting the customer in their moment of need with a message that resonates with what that need is. It's helping your your prospective customer understand the value that you see in them for who they are, which is why you made the product that you did to solve that problem that they have. So I think I, th- I think marketing kind of is a myriad of of emotional connection between a prospective customer in the marketplace with the product and service, and building that bridge so those two things can find each other. Mm, man, that's a, there's so much in that answer. Uh, and also, I, we're just going to apologize for the people listening to this. My dog is literally barking in the background in this recording right now. So I don't know if y'all can hear that or not. But he's... I'm a Georgia... I, I'm a Bulldogs fan. So the more times the dogs bark... There, it's, uh, it's that's I'm right. Well, my dog is stoked about your answer about marketing. Okay, so, so associate with that answer... Why are you personally so passionate about marketing? Because truly, like, I'll never forget the first time I met you. It was like you started talking about something related to to marketing. And I was like, I'm pretty sure he's going to start foaming at the mouth here in just a second. Like, that is going to happen. So, So why are you so passionate about it, Trey? Uh, You know, so 2010... My first career was in private Christian education and church ministry. Okay. So after seminary for four years, I was on staff at a large church. The church had a school in it uh, that it was affiliated with. And so I was on staff at the church. I was the head of the Bible department. I coached like every sport they had because we didn't have a ton of staff. Not that I was a good coach, but there wasn't anybody else 
Um, and so my wife worked there too. That's actually how we met. She is a middle school teacher. I was a high school teacher and coming out of the recession, 2008, 2009, she, she got pregnant with our oldest son. And I had already started tinkering with finding stuff to do at night so that I could make some more money to replace her income because we wanted her to be able to stay home. And um, unfortunately, just due to the recession and some other unforeseeable kind of events, we both ended up losing our jobs that next year. And I mean, we were on food stamps. I'll never forget having to walk my six, seven month pregnant wife into the food stamps line at the local county office uh, to get food stamps. And at the time, the only thing I had to go on was this little tinkering thing with Internet marketing that I had started doing at night. Made of, you know, I was making like seventeen hundred bucks a month, which isn't much, but it was something. Were you self-taught, like figuring out how yeah, to do yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Golly. Yeah, learned it all at, you know, early days of YouTube, read a lot of books, got a lot of books sent to me in the mail. And so anyways, I remember walking out of the food stamps line, you know, with my wife and she just looked at me and said, you know, if you were ever going to take a risk on yourself, it's not like you could ever have any less to lose than what we have to lose right now because we don't have much. And I, she was like, why don't, you know, take a year, six months, a year and just go for it and let's see what happens. And I am so passionate about marketing because of the belief that my wife had in me to figure it out, mm-hmm. like at the, just at the core. And uh, I kind of turned that initial kick in the pants for my wife in 2010 um, into just starting to talk more about it with people like, hey, I don't know why I'm good at this shit, but I've got a knack for this thing. I'm pretty good at it. That turned into you know, a good friend of mine feeling like, Hey, why don't you come and look at our firm to see if you could help our firm do some marketing. And so I got on staff there that went really well. And then some people got together, connected to that firm. We're like, Hey, could we do this for other businesses? So we ended up putting some private money together and started an agency. And then two years later we raised more money and it was going really well. And then two years after that, I sold out my seat in that company to join a bigger agency, became a VP of strategy and started working with, you know, higher end clients at that point, you know, like nationally known brands and found out I could do it on that level too. And then we made it fast forward to here we are now. And now the last, you know, four and a half years leading very large, you know, marketing teams, large segments of business. And honestly, man, I still, I've never, I am passionate about the craft because the craft saved my life, my marriage everything that's happened, you know, in my family since then, obviously I'm a person of faith. So I believe the good Lord was the ultimate guiding light in all of that. I just kept you know sticking with it, but I'm really passionate about marketing because marketing has been good to me. I mean, that's really ultimately what, what it boils down to. And I think the, the, like the, the precept, the guiding precept or principle um, that has really taken me down this path is I just, I've always kept the posture of even in losses, if you learn, you don't actually lose. And so that I've, I've never really seen that, that I'll ever fail at it, if that makes sense. Like, I don't I don't see where I'll lose because I'm just going to keep learning as I go on. It's always going to change and I'm just going to change with it. So I think that's kind of why I've stuck with it, too. So, yeah, my wife, that early day in the food stamp line, man, that was like defining moment of my life and uh, been living from the grace of that moment and the gravity of that moment ever since, you know, 12 years later. My gosh, that that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's kind of interesting to think about like, okay, she tells you, what if you did this all out for six months to a year? 
and and to think about like what was your perspective like did that scare you did that excite you like did like was that intimidating how did you feel in response to because in some ways it's like I believe in you but it also feels a little bit like a challenge like okay you want to go for it go for it <laughs> yeah you know um, <laughs> it was hard like that first year was hard man I'm not proud of it but you know, I was floating our mortgage on a credit card. I mean, we were, I was doing everything I could to, cause we had a, you know, we had a newborn in the way. So I was still trying to keep the mis- the mystique up of like, Hey, we're fine. Yeah. We don't have jobs, but you know, we're fine. We're going to be okay. And we're like, I'm, I'm literally getting cheese at the store with other people's money and paying my mortgage on a credit card and trying to f- move money from here to there and doing the internet thing and then calling little leagues, you know, baseball games on Saturdays and Sundays. And uh, for two months in between, I took a contract gig selling vacuum cleaners door to door to make some extra money. And it's just like all this kind of stuff. But I will tell you, like it, it, that kind of it became like the soundtrack of my life. It's like the belief that she had to say, like, let's see what happens. Like, let, it, it can't it can't get worse. Like when you're living from a place of it can't get worse, there's actually a lot of freedom in that, to, mm. to be honest with you. And so I felt a lot of freedom. And they they say that entrepreneurship skips a generation. So my grandfather was an entrepreneur until the day he died. A patented inventor, restaurateur made things with this. He, was, he built boats in his backyard by hand, you know, just was the dream, the perpetual dreamer for 60 years of his life. And so I grew up in the household of my father who had lived in his household and had all that inconsistency in his life. And so my dad hung his hat with one company for his entire career, right? He went the exact opposite end of the spectrum. And so I often talk about kind of growing up in this dad, granddad scale in my life of like, what is what does success look like? And so it's so funny because the first four or five years of my life, of my professional life, I pursued education, which was that very stable thing like my father had. But then it went away. That stable thing went away. You know, and so there now my wife comes in and goes, well, be be an entrepreneur, you know, go go dream, make it happen. And so it's like I swung back over here into this camp and I, you know, in full transparency, I had so much success so quick that that ended up being even unhealthy for me for a little bit in my life, too, you know, because it did go well for four or five or six years. And what I'm happy to say is now as a three on the Enneagram, I believe I'm functioning in the healthiest version of myself that I've been. I still got a ton of room to grow, but I think I'm the healthiest I've been now. I will say that I found solace of being somewhere in the middle between Mm -hmm. those two things in all areas of my life, even in the most recent move that I made professionally, which I I don't know if we'll talk about or not. We'll see. But just trying to chase health above everything else, Hmm. because I think if I chase health, stay straight through my core, like I'm going to be a marketer until the day I die. It's fed my family. I've found I have found a giftedness in it that I didn't know I had, to be honest with you. Hmm. And um, I enjoy it. Like I'm passionate about our friend Ken Coleman talks about, you know, where your mission and passion and values, all that stuff intersects. Like I'm at the intersection point. Like I'm here. At the same time, though, like as you get older, your kids get older, your, your marriage changes over time. You start realizing that there's certain things that matter more. And so my health, especially the last six months, that's been one of the biggest things. Like I've, I've been I need to actually kind of batten down the hatches and say, I don't have to live like it's 2010 anymore mm. because we've actually been out of that season for probably five years. But I've still been living as if we've got $100,000 of consumer debt and we're on 
food stamps and all this stuff, just chasing it, chasing it, chasing it. And we, we, the truth is, is that we don't have to be that way anymore. Is that a, is that a scarcity mindset? Like when you think back to 2010 Trey, was it a scarcity mindset or what was it that you say? I don't have, like, I don't have to live like that anymore. I have a choice. Yeah, no, I think, um, it was this like crazy convergence of like a, a, a real sense of lack, like an actual, oh, like, like survival we, we mode. Lacked, like, we lacked, like it was that, it was that it was, and I, I, can, I don't think my father's going to be disappointed in me if I share this, but there was this interesting relational thing we went through in my young adult life of him being happy that I was in ministry, but him also thinking that that's not the, you know, one of the best ways to provide for a family, so to say. And I, and I say that respectfully for my dad, I don't, meaning from like a, are you sure you're going to be able to support your family on, I mean, I was making $30,000 a year, Alex. It was not a lot of money to start with. And if someone isn't wired like an entrepreneur where they see uh, like opportunity and impact and all of that, they're like, what are you doing? You have all these talents and gifts and you're doing 30K a year. Like you can kind of empathize yeah. with it where it's like, whether it's right or wrong is kind of irrelevant. You can see where he's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, and he's exactly. And so there was a little bit of a chip. There's a little bit of a chip there just from that whole like, so do I have something I got to prove? And now I did now I was we lost our jobs. And so it was like a convergence of several different things. I, you know, my own, you know, my, the chameleon side of a three on the Enneagram who wants to blend in and appear successful and appear significant. And, um, and so it's like, you put all of that stuff together in the pot and what comes out is a guy who's going to put a mask on to do whatever it takes to look like he's doing the job. And the crazy thing was, is like five years ago, I looked up and I'm like, wait a second, why well, I got masks on still? Like I'm, I'm actually doing it now. I'm not faking it anymore. And, um, and so especially these last three or four years, it's like, you know what? It is completely okay for me to finally let my, let rest my laurels on being the authentic me and the authentic me being enough. Like I am, I walk into my calling. I don't have to perform per se anymore. Threes tend to be, you know, pretty strong performers. I still, it's still a thing that rears its head that I've got to like die on the, you know, put it on the altar every day and say, man, I don't, I don't need to live that way anymore. But I would just say, I think there's a lot of maturity and growth that's happened both forced on me because of life situations, but also in just a lot of intentionality here recently on being able to start to have a filter that's a, a, you know, a nearly 40-year-old man filter instead of a 30-year-old boy because I was still mm. a boy a lot when all that stuff happened to me. And I feel like I'm able to make really solid decisions now to support my family and be wise and to support me and to choose the right things. And I don't think I had that decision-making framework really locked in 10, 12 years ago, I was just so busy reacting to what happened to me instead of responding in kind, you know, reactions tend to be knee jerk responses tend to be calculated. Right. And so I feel like I've created space in my life now where I've learned the ability to say no and that no, no is okay. And I can actually choose a different path and not have to worry about being unsuccessful at it. I'm convinced at this point that I'll figure it out, you know, because mm-hmm. we have. So yeah, it, there's a lot of freedom in that too. So a lot of grace 10, 12 years ago and a lot of freedom now to make, you know, really hard decisions like walking away from your job and taking another one like I did recently. It actually becomes a lot easier when you look back through all the all the stages you've been in in life and the what if you're truly pursuing healthy growth, you just have to make your list every, you know, this year my list changed. It's like my personal health has got to move to the top of the list because 
all the money and titles in the world is going to mean nothing if I'm not here for my family, period. Like that just becomes the easy one to decide around. And so that's what we did. That's what we decided. Are, are there any character qualities that you have now that you can trace back to uh, that valley that you went through? Like, it's like, I hate that I had to go through that and that we had to stand in the food stamps line, but this is something that I got from it. Yeah, I think the biggest one for me was I was a peacekeeper, not a peacemaker. Before all of that, I was the type that I really just, you know, don't ruffle anybody's feathers. Let's everybody just get along. You know, even though I was the, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bigger guy. So even though I was always the bigger guy in the room, I was the the timid, be in the corner, yes, sir, no, sir, like whatever you say, sir. And, uh, you, and even though we'd they'd walk away and I'd be like, man, that was wrong. That wasn't the right thing to do. We shouldn't be doing that. We should be doing this. And when you get your back, when you finally get back into the corner so far that you can't go any farther and you got to come out of it now, you learn how to start having those really specific conversations with people of like, no, that's not how it's going to be. Let me tell you what I think respectfully about how it's going to be. I've got an opinion too. My opinion carries weight. Here's why. And so the ability to start to be more resolute and seeing situations and stepping in and going, that's not right. That's not right. This is right. I'm going to make the peace here. I'm going to lead well. Uh, I'm going to lean in to conflict instead of running from it, instead of being like, no, 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 no. I don't, that's fine. Let's just, let's just stop talking about it. It's fine. We'll keep the peace. So I think I've, that's probably one of the biggest growth areas of my life. And that, that's not just professionally. That's with my bride. That's with my extended family. That's with my friends. Like just being able to lean in and go, no, like, we're, come on, I'm going to speak up now. I, you know, so that's a big one. I, I think another one is <laughs> I am, uh, I'm still pretty spontaneous, you know, just in life. Like, hey, <laughs> you know, let's have some fun. Let's go do a thing. But hey, living on a budget, that seems like so like, <laughs> but just like having a, you know, just having a plan, financial plan kind of coming out of what happened to me early on and uh, has been a huge intent for, uh, you know, intentional thing for us getting to where we are. So I think maybe the word that kind of rips all those things together, Alex, is just having a little bit more discipline in my life and understanding where those boundaries need to be, both relational boundaries and financial boundaries and planning boundaries and mm -hmm. all of that. Man, I, uh, I can't help but think whenever you talk about peacekeeper to peacemaker, I've never heard of that comparison before, but I'm working on memorizing the Sermon on the Mount right now. I still got a long ways to go, but I just think about that beatitude where it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. No, bro. So, so how can you really step into your sonship if you're not willing to make the peace? Well, and, exactly. and what's so cool, I've never thought about it until you just described it the way that you did is making peace is not about an absence of conflict. Like that, that is not what That's Jesus right. was talking about when he was talking about making peace. So what I would like to know is whenever you think about peacemaking as a responsibility, how does that play out? And let's talk specifically in the role of a leader. If you're playing the role of a leader with direct reports, how do you proactively make peace? So Matthew 18 is a guiding light principle in my life. I think whether you're a Christian or not, the the premise of what the Lord teaches us in Matthew 18 about how to deal with conflict, I think is a great rubric for being able to make the peace. And so I think so many issues with people uh, become bigger than they need to be because people are just unwilling to go and sit and talk with each other and have a dialogue when they've been offended. Mm -hmm. 
or when they feel like something's out of whack, they turn what was a small offense into a much bigger thing because they'll go and talk to two or three other people about what happened prior to just going to the person who did the thing and saying, hey, this thing happened. We good. Don't do that again. Um, and so, you know, Matthew 18 says, if your brother, or your sister's offended you, you go to that brother or sister. If that doesn't work, then you bring one other brother or sister with you. And if that doesn't work, then you then you bring them to the to, to the group in this situation, to the church leadership. And then you guys sort it out. So I think as a leader in life and business, you know, I've led teams of like me all the way up to teams of hundreds, you know, in my career the last 12 years. I think what I found is like being able to have really effective one-on-one conflict resolution with people will stave off a lot of the peace having to be made at the grand scale. And so being able to make peace one-on-one will go a long way in making peace one-on-many. And the secondary thing to that is I have this thing about if I get challenged in public, I just have to rebuke in public so that we can understand where the boundaries are. But if I, if I get challenged in private, then I'm going to come back in private. So I think having a an order of magnitude, letting people know where you stand, again, helps things stay the size that they are. Things get blown out of proportion. They become bigger than they are when a lot of other people get involved. And one way you can make peace is keeping things at the right size, the right level of detail, the right number of people involved, instead of it turning into this, that old saying, a mountain into a mountain out of a molehill. What happens most of the time like that is because the people who started with the molehill didn't talk to each other about it. They went involved Mm -hmm. 30 other people before just talking to each other. And so I've just developed a lot of bravery because I used to be a coward in this area, a lot of bravery on being like, that wasn't right. Like what you just did wasn't right. Please don't do that anymore. And it's worked. You know, it's just worked. You know, people, if you a genuine human, like a kind, uh, you know, good spirited human being, if you if you call them out like that in a loving but direct way, normally every time I've done that, I mean, every now and again, people want to go outside and that's OK, too. Um, but, you know, most of the time it's like, yeah, OK, I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you for telling me. I, you know, that wasn't my intent. I heard um, Bob Goff say once that most of the time we want we judge other people by their actions, but we want to be judged by our intentions. And man, that is. So profound. So many times in our story, in our heads, we're like, whoa, 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 that's not what I meant. And it's like, well, whether that's what you meant or not, that's what mm-hmm. happened. Though. That's why that's what I received. That's what I felt. And so I think uh, another backside of that, too, is starting to understand that sometimes the things that happen to me actually aren't what those people intended to happen to me either. The same way it's not what I intended to happen to them. I think that helps you make the peace as well. That's right. I mean, you referenced earlier that you're a three on the Enneagram. I'm at, I am as well. And I think whether you're a three on the Enneagram or not, any leadership-minded individual probably struggles with this tension of like, man, sometimes I don't have those conversations the way that I maybe even know that I should because probably if I'm being honest with myself about the reason why, it's because I desire to be liked. And sometimes telling someone like, mm. hey, that wasn't right, or you didn't do your job there, or you're not fitting into the culture, like that conversation doesn't always end with you as a leader being liked or loved or applauded or affirmed. And so it can be way easier to take the soft route, right? And to not actually tell the truth in kind. Did you struggle with that? And if so, how did you overcome that desire to be liked in pursuit of being effective, Trey? Yeah, I think, uh, Alex, I think you're going to resonate with this, man. I think threes spend a lot of time in the in between the poles of being liked for what we do instead of being liked for who we are. Mm. And 
because we we are doers, we're achievers, we're performers, and we, you know, I've, I've yet to meet a three that I've not felt a mutual respect for. I've been like, man, they're they're good at what they do. Like I'm just like that's going to sound like self promotional right now for us, but that's just been my experience. That every time I meet a three, I find out something. I'm like, oh, you're a three. Well, the standard we hold we hold to ourselves to is very very high internally, and not a lot of other people can understand that unless you're on that spectrum. And at the same time, man, we just want to be so liked. Like it's just so in us to want to be so liked. So sometimes we get caught up in our identity being in the things that we do and what people say about what we do, rather than our identity being in who we are and who we were made to be and the values and character traits that we bring to the table. And so I think for me, like having to lean into the discomfort of being vulnerable with people about when I'm faking it and when I'm actually speaking from a place of true authority, especially in leadership, because when you're in leadership, I've been in, I, I got thrusted into leadership at 19, 19 years of age. I was a shift manager at a Cold Stone Creamery. Now, most people will say that's not really leadership. Let me sit and tell you, <laughs> on a Friday night when you got, you know, eight 15 and 16 year olds working for you and you've got to sh- shut it down and clean all the machines and everything like it felt like leadership i wasn't making a bunch of money but it felt like leadership so that was at 19 at 21 i had a master's degree and i was running a bible department at this school and had six teachers reporting to me these people were twice my age you know all the way up to here most recently you know i got everywhere from 23 year olds to 65 year olds that are under my care on my team and and what i have found is is like so much of of all of that in leadership is connected to perception, perception of you. And I've just tried to make, especially recently, I've tried to make like the real me, the perceived me. Whereas we use we we you know, like we can do the chameleon, walk into the room, be who I need to be in this moment to get what I need to get done. And that that can get real unhealthy real fast in the wrong situation. And so I just by having great uh, other threes in my life, other just great men of God in my life, my wife in my life as a phenomenal mirror of like, uh, you're faking it right now. You need to just turn that <laughs> yeah. thing down. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's, again, identity be connected to what you do instead of who you are. And being able to have the real you be the perceived you is like the real hard growth work we have to do at threes, regardless of what industry you're in, or especially when you're a leader, because people are watching you every day. So we we can do the whole, well, I'm on today or I'm off today. Like we just need to be us Mm. every day. And that needs to be enough. Man, I love that you say when I'm faking it, because it's not if I'm faking it. It there, there isn't. It's like there will be times where I screw up, where I, I mean, in some ways, sin, and where I am not being fully myself. And it's like I'm faking it. And it's like I should just expect that. The question is not will you. The question is will you catch it? Like will you catch it, or do you have people in your life to catch it when you're faking it? I. It's so interesting that you bring this up because I was talking to a friend the other day, and it was something that they meant as a compliment. They said, Alex, I'm just always so shocked that there can be so many things going on in your head and your heart that you're either upset or disappointed or sad or angry about. 
And uh, like, I would have no clue. Like I spent so much time with you last week and I had no clue. And, and they, they were saying that. And like, I just admire that so much. So I was like, I don't, I don't know that that's a great thing. Right. Like in some way I felt like that's a course correction. Yeah. Cause it's like that, that means that the image you were receiving of me was not correct to my heart. So how do you keep the thumb on the pulse of like, okay, where am I right now is essentially the question you're asking because you know, we can put up a mask and this is true of leaders in general. How do you keep your thumb on the pulse of where you are? and make sure that the image is aligned with where you actually are in reality. So uh, we're, we're actually going through a lot of therapy right now with one of our two kids. Um, she's sweet, sweet girl, and she's just having a hard time, you know, some of the stuff that she's going through. So she goes to therapy every week. Her, her therapist like reaches out to us every week and she's been giving us reports on here's the things we need to be working on everything. And it's crazy. My wife and I were just talking about this yesterday a lot of the stuff that's welling up in my little girl is me. It's me in her. And there's there's these exercises that we've been going through about staying regulated. It's the big thing that we're we're working on with her. It's like not going too far to the hot and not going too far to the cold, like staying regulated. And within my own psyche, you know, what I've found is it's hard for me to really go there with a ton of people. Mm-hmm like really like where there is, like, this is how I'm actually feeling right now. This is what I know it looks on the outside, like all systems check green across the board. We're really red here. And I got to tell you, man, the last six months of my life, I started really opening up to a lot more people. Like it's really red on the inside guys. Like I had COVID really bad last August and, you know, thank the good Lord I came out of it, but you can't be that ill and not just have things going through your head about, you know, what's up? You know, is this really what you want? Is this how you want to go out? Is this what you want to be remembered for? You know, what you what, what would you say to your, what are your kids going to do? You know, now that you're, you're not here. So I'm like, I'm literally writing notes to my kids in my phone in case I'm not there and they find my phone. Like it was, you, you spend that many nights by yourself, like laying in a bed trying to figure out how to breathe and you can't, you can't help but go there. And so, uh, I'm so between the therapy with the kid, the this, this stuff that's happened with me, what I got to say is, it's like having incredible men, brothers in the Lord who can call you out. If you have a spouse, having extreme open dialogue with your spouse, my, you know, I think I probably have a four wing because when I do go there, man, I'm there <laughs> like I'm way I'm like because my wife's a four. Right. So she's there all the time in the feelings. She's always in the feelings. But it's like when, but the, I would just, and again, full transparency, most of the time when I go there in my feelings, I go there in anger though. And mm. that's the biggest regulation in my own life that I've got to continue to figure out how to work on is how to be able to go there without getting mad. Um, mm. Like, you know, raising my voice or getting like genuinely, like visibly upset. It's like, that's my processor. Like my processor when it kicks in is anger which, you know, Chip Dodd says voices of the heart. Anger is the only one of the eight emotions that makes you change. I'm just out trying to figure out as angry as I've gotten so far. I'm how come I ain't changed <laughs> yeah, where, so Where's the change at, Chip? Where's the change? <laughs> but but we're trying, Alex. We're trying. We're working progress. Well, man, I mean, the vibe that I get from you, I'll just tell you, just talking to you right here, right now, the vibe that I get from you, I think back, I this one of the first interviews that I did uh, for the podcast at Entree was with Ian Cron. And I'll never forget, there's one phrase that he said that has stuck with me ever since. He says, he said something about great leaders have the ability to be right-sized. 
And that has just stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And I just, like, I perceive what you're talking about as like just a kind of a discussion around what's it like to be right-sized, that I'm not going to give you an image of myself that I'm bigger than I actually am, because I'm not. I'm just going to be very right-sized. And and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm just, I'm honestly very inspired by your example, Trey. I, that is, uh, that's so funny, man. I, so, I, I, you know, obviously you, if people haven't put two and two together yet, we both used to work together at the same company. You know, we both no longer work at that company. Obviously you have your own company. I just became chief marketing officer for a different company started three weeks ago at this point. It's so interesting to use that phrase. When I was on my way out of the former company, talked with a couple of different people and I, I couldn't put the words around what I was trying to help people understand because in title, it looks like this is a massive promotion, mm-hmm. you know, from like where I was to where I am. And in a lot of ways it is in, in a lot of ways it is, but also in a lot of ways it's a right sizing for me right now in my life because it's a much smaller team. I'm more hands-on with the work. I'm getting to both create and lead, which I'm super passionate about. I had forgotten how passionate I was about actually the doing of the craft of marketing over the last three years now that I'm getting to do some of it again. So there is a right sizing now that's happened to me. And I really think it's a blessing of the Lord in that I had gone to the Lord and basically said, you could take it all away from me. I, I, I want to simplify my life, be able to love my wife better, my kids better, be at home more often, be able to go to the gym when I want to exercise every day, take better care of my health. Like that was the list of my priorities. And then the job was down here. But it's crazy because what I ended up getting was a job that's actually up here that will allow me to still do all of those things. Um, I wrote a post about it the other day on LinkedIn. It was like, sometimes you don't have to choose a better job. You got to choose a better you. But the cool thing is, is we serve a God that sometimes when you choose a better you, you end up with the better job. And that that's where I feel like I'm living right now is this course correction in my late 30s, about to be 40, kind of starting to have all those midlife stuff. I, I, um, a friend of mine used to always tell me growing up, hey, your 20s are going to be your learning years. Your 30s and 40s are going to be your earning years, your 50s and 60s uh, are going to be your returning years, and your 70s and beyond are going to be your yearning years. And what he was meaning by that was you figure it out in your 20s, your 30s and 40s is when you make your your best living, have your most fun. Your 50s and 60s is when you mentor and start to give back and do all those things. In the 70s and 80s, your body just gets old and you're tired. You're ready to just go be with the Lord. And I just decided that, you know what, I'm not really going to chase the earning anymore. I just I just decided last year I'd been chasing it for over a decade coming out of the food stamps thing. I just decided I wasn't going to chase it anymore, man. Um, and you, know, Zach, you know, I know who works with you. He, he knows this. I mean, I've been running a consulting business on the side for the last five years, working an extra eight to 12 hours a week every week for five years on top of what I've done in my day job. And um there's no reason for me to be doing like Alex, like there's no financial reason for me to be doing all of that. And now I'm not, I, I'm not doing any of that anymore. You know, I'm just doing the one job. I've been gone from the former job for this is day. Let's see three day 28. I've lost 24 pounds. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. You lost yeah. 24 pounds in 28 days. 
Yeah. Oh my yeah, God. Are you like only working from the gym or what are you I'm like? You're not eating. What are no, you? That's insane. No, I'm doing 75 hard, which oh, is a different conversation there altogether. There you go. Yeah. 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 So it's a different conversation altogether. But honestly, man, it actually hasn't felt all that hard. It's been crazy, like crazy. I don't know. I'm just having lunch. I've, I've had more one-on-one meals with my life in the last 28 days than we probably had all of last year. Praise God. To be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of, I'm not proud of what happened last year, but I'm stoked about what we could do moving forward, you know? So it's, it's little things like being able to just be there. My son comes in and asks me a math problem and he's like, Hey dad, can you help me with math? Sure, son. I'll take five minutes to help you with math. He's homeschooled. So yeah, I'm just living in this moment now where life is just so different. And it, when you're going from being in institutional America for 12 years, 13 years straight, really 18 years, because I was in education before that, to, you know, I kind of set my own schedule now and have a few meetings here and there. I didn't realize what all was possible in your life every day, especially considering I still get to have a really freaking awesome job while I'm doing all this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, we, um, there's a member of our team. She's our coaching manager, Olivia. She's just become fond of saying, and I'm just uh, kind of picking it up because I just love it too, of just calling out sometimes just the God of more than enough. Like it's more than you could ask, think, or imagine. It's like, could I plan this? No, because I wouldn't have been bold enough to ask for all of this because, That's but it's right. like, you can have it all. That's just, man, that's so cool. But at the same time, um, and I'd be interested to know if you resonate with this experience. Whenever I was wrestling through whether or not to leave um, the full-time gig at Ramsey to, to start my own thing, it was a gut-wrenching decision. It was so hard. And one of the reasons why it was so hard is I constantly found myself wishing, I was like, I just wish I hated my job and I like the leaders were horrible, the culture was horrible, and I could just like go in and have the greatest, like, I'm leaving this awful place and never coming back. On the, and then I was, but I was like, I can't do that because I love this place. And I literally, yeah. I mean, like I couldn't list a negative thing about the place that was like, oh, this is why I have to leave. It wasn't that at all. And, and so as a result, it's like you pair. It's a great place to work. There's a lot of people that think very highly of you for working there. The company is moving up and to the right. And I mean, it's just blowing the lid off things. It's a high exposure job. That sounds like all the things that, I mean, in some ways, a three on the Enneagram would never leave in a million years. And so mm. what had to occur inside of you to say like, I'm actually going to leave all of that that is good for something that is smaller, potentially less recognized, potentially less exposure, potentially less pressure. How do you go about making that decision? Oh, um, a lot of tears, mm. you know, a lot of tears, a lot of prayer. So we have a special needs child or the one that was born when we were on food stamps. He's had, you know, he's a, he's an incredible little boy. I end up getting emotional. Um, but you know, my wife, which we did talk about until this point, you know, she has, her life has revolved around that little boy, you know, ever since he came into the world, you know, she's other than tinkering here and there over the last 11 years, he's 11 and a half now over those last 11 years, like she's just been there for bear, you know, mm -hmm. and for our other little one that we have now. And so a part of the decision to say, how can I, sh how can I shrink my exposure and come home? Honestly, was to try and start to help her more and to create opportunity for her more because 
you know, she has her own dreams, aspirations and passions that I want her to be able to pursue. And I don't want to see her have to continue to put those on the side. We started thinking about what would it be like if we homeschooled both kids instead of just bear? And what if I was remote? And what if we could actually create a life for ourselves that wasn't anchored to a position at work? It was anchored to the position that we wanted to be in as a family. And honestly, when you factor in my physical health on top of those conversations, it actually became a pretty easy decision, like in, in all in all actuality. And I, like you, like my dearest friends in the world are five miles away now every day, but I don't get to see them. You know, that like that was a really hard decision. Um, the people that I'm working with now, phenomenal, phenomenal human beings. We're going to we're going to change the world. But I'm doing it all over the Internet. I haven't shook, I haven't shook hands with any any of them yet. I'm going to get to meet some of them next week, which I'm excited about. Like, that's very different as a three, as a relational extroverted three. Like, that's a fundamental change in the makeup of my day. But, man, I'm just telling you, I'm going to choose that beautiful bride of mine and those kids 10 out of 10 times moving forward, period. Mm. Like, that's just become my new filter. And that's I, when you make a statement like that. That's a lot of pressure on a three to be able to be self-sacrificial enough to say, let me get out of my own way and actually go and serve you guys well. And I'm honestly trying to do it. I really I really am. And I'm putting it out in the public sphere now so people can (laughs) challenge me on it and hold me accountable. Um, Her included. I hope she listens to this whenever we post it. Uh, But that's just the truth. man. it actually is. Everything you described about the brand and the organization we both used to work for at Ramsey is exactly what you said. And probably then some, if we're being honest, I don't know if I'll ever work for a better organization. Right. And I'm just going to choose my my wife and my kids above my own title successes. And I had made my mind that that's what I was going to do. And the cool thing was the Lord opened the door for me to work for a growing agency that's right size for me. That's at a stage that I could serve really, really well. Um, and I'm excited about all the alignment that I'm starting to experience in my life because of making the decision. Yeah. It's kind of like you think of the alternatives. It's like, okay, well, one alternative is you never actually reckon with the question, what actually matters to me? And it's like, well, that doesn't feel too good. And then another alternative is you do reckon with it, you define it, but then you don't have the courage to act on it. And so mm-hmm. it's like, I hope what people are taking from this is like, have the guts to ask what really actually matters and then expect that probably when you answer that question and put some stuff down on paper, change is going to be the result of you answering that question. And and change can be different friendships, change can be different living location, change can be different job, but it like there's a lot of heartache that goes into pursuing what actually matters, I think. Uh- I don't, I don't want to get lost on me. I don't, I don't want my, um, my life experiences and the amount of change. I've moved 23 times, 13 of which or 12 of which was with my family before I graduated high school. And the mm-hmm. rest has been my own decision. So like, it's little things for me, like even in this decision of changing jobs, you know, one of the very first questions that came up was like, where are you guys going to live? Like even from my family. And I was like, I know that's the natural thing to ask, because if you don't have to, if you physically, we moved here for that job, like we don't have any other family here, but man, it was so easy for my wife and I to sit down and go, no, we want to make a home here. Like regardless of what happens with work, like we're going to make home here for, for us and our kids. Like when my kids are my age, I want them to be able to say, well, we grew up in Franklin, Tennessee. Like that's just, that's where we're from. But I will tell you like, 
it does, it goes through my head often like, well, where, where, where's more affordable that we could live and how could we do this and how could we do that? Like, so I have to, I have to, I have to like keep that thing under the wraps of what is it that's going to be the best situation for my wife and my kids in this season. And I think by giving them the best situation, whatever the necessary changes are that I got experience in my life are going to be okay. But you're exactly right. Like the, the rubber doesn't really hit the road doing mental ascent exercises is one thing. But walking in and saying, here it is, I typed up the resignation or here it is, I'm putting the house on the market or here it is, I'm going to get on a plane and go see that person that I haven't spoken to in five years and sit them down and go, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have spoken to you that way. I want us to be able to, I know we can't have the relationship we had again, but I don't want it to be like this. Like whatever that dynamic, that thing is that you got to take on, especially as a three, like you just got to step into it. Mm. There's a line by David Brooks in the book, The Second Mountain, where he says, uh, it's my favorite definition of commitment I've ever heard. He says, commitment is when you fall in love with something so much that you put structure around it for the times when you no longer feel in love with it. And Mm. I I just think about like, it's like, that's the way you describe Franklin, Tennessee. It's like, no, we've decided this is our home and this is where we live. And there may be times where it's like, oh, well, I'd love to live there. I'd love to go somewhere cheaper or I'd love to go somewhere where it doesn't rain all January. Like I'd love all these things. Right. (laughs) Uh, But it's like, well, too bad because we made a commitment. And, and yeah. I, man, I like I'm in some ways I'm challenged by your example in that. But it seems as though you're not even far removed from making some of those commitments. And it seems as though you're already bearing some of the fruit from it. Listen, I got I have plenty more steps in the right direction I got to take. What I will tell you is the structure of my day and the things that I find myself reflecting on every night and the span of the last 30 days have radically transformed and the freedom of not having some of the burdens, whether they were mine to carry or not, that I was carrying in the last role, being able to give those up has done wonders for my temperament, what I wake up excited about every day. And listen, I'm sure there's some burdens coming in the the new job. I'm three weeks in, It's, (laughs) it's coming. What I'm hoping is, is that I'm doing, I'm going through enough of a, like a clarifying set of exercises right now in my life that when they do come again, that I'm able to just address them very differently because I'm, I have a different filtration system in my life now than I did last three or four years. Again, I'm not chasing the dollar anymore. I'm focused on how can I be, how can I be the best version of me that starts with me taking better care of myself, you know, at the top of that list, me and me spending time in the word every morning, me trying to get away with my wife, me getting alone time with each one of my kids every week, if not every day, as best we can, you know, us going to, we haven't missed a Wednesday night old school. Like we still have dinner at our church on Wednesday nights and have Bible study after like, we're going to that as a family. It's been so good. You know, we're playing games on Friday nights. So we've got this new game we love called hooky where you throw the hooks on the walls and we've got a family scoreboard. And it's like there was nothing that I just said that was about work. And the largest majority of my life has been defined by how I did in school, how I performed in college, how I performed in grad school, and then how I performed at work. And so it's just my scoreboard's changed, man. And I'm just trying to stay committed to it. Dang, changing of the scoreboard. I love it. Okay, I think... That kind of provides an interesting parallel, and and I'd love to unpack this some, 
because it seems like so much of the theme of what we've talked about up to this point and what's gone in on in your life over the course in some ways of the past decade or so and certainly in the past uh, six months is just this idea like I am not going to live for the image of me. I'm going to live as I actually am and trust that that's who God made me to be and that that's going to be enough for people. And at the same time, I could see that the world that you operate in being marketing can almost be so contradictory if you're not careful to that line of thinking, because it seems like so much of culture and the world and industry today views marketing as what is the image of yourself that you're presenting to the world. And then also, as a side note, it might be nice if that image is accurate, but it doesn't really matter if it's accurate as long as it's profitable, right? Is kind of the world's way of looking at marketing. So as someone that you know, like you know yourself, you're prone to stepping into living for people's perceptions. How do you live in a world that can be so dictated around people's perceptions, expectations, and all of that? Very carefully. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Is this something you've thought about? Because this is something that we're wrestling with a lot as a team right now. Yeah, yeah. Personal brand, personal brand when you're in the brand space is a completely different game. It's a completely different game. So I'll give you an example of how this exact thing just played out. So before I had made my mind up that I was going to clean my resume up and really actually go for seeing what kind of a simplified life we could have, I um, there's a kind of a network of, of headhunters and scouts and people that I just know from my career and a couple of a couple of my own lists, right, where every month they send out, here's the searches that we're doing this month. And I'm just on the list. I've always been on the list. We joke that my wife loves to look at houses. I love to look at jobs. Like we just have this like (laughs) running joke in our house. And so you'll find me just perusing through jobs. It's just interesting. And so one of these lists, when you go on their website and you interact, you know, obviously a certain way with their website, they can tell behaviorally what you've done. And so I had looked at a job listing in like September or something. And one of the headhunters had come back to me on LinkedIn, sent me a message and was basically like, Hey, I see you looked at this job. I want to know if you're interested. And, uh, and literally it was like four hours later before I could respond. And I was, I was in there going to type up my response and basically being like, I'm not actually interested. And the little dots came up on my phone where like, you could tell the other person is, is typing right <laughs> the now. Mysterious too. Little dots. Yeah, the mysterious little dots. <laughs> and the guy came back and said, Hey, uh, second thought, I just took, just took a look at, your, look at your profile and between some of the comments that you've made recently on things about faith and this little video that you have on your LinkedIn profile where you say that you talk and speak about being active with your faith in the workplace and doing it in a loving way, that unless you're willing to remove any of that stuff and all that stuff from your profile and from your LinkedIn page, I'm not going to want to talk to you anymore about this job. And I was like, sweet, thank you. I literally just deleted my entire message. It was like, sweet, thank you. And he's like, well, thank you for what? I'm like, thank you for not considering me for the job. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, what do you mean what I mean? That's who I am. So if that's going to be a problem for somebody and they don't think we can work together, we're not going to work together. Anyways, that doesn't mean I'm going to be a proselytizer, but at the same time too, I'm going to show up as 100% Trey Shinneman and Faith and faith in leadership and leading as a servant leader is at the core of who I strive to be and who I will be. And it's just so interesting of like four years ago, Trey would have changed his profile. Wow. And so that honestly, it was, a, it was a, 
it was this interesting moment when that happened in September, September or October of last year, where it was like, okay, like we're, we're there, like we're there with saying we've got, we've, I've had enough experience in this field now to know exactly what it is that I want and what the balance of it is that I want. And I want to be able to work in a place where it's completely okay and tolerable for me to be 100% myself. And I wanted to work in a place that's completely okay for me to want to still do some of the work and be hands-on and down in it. And I want it to be a flexible environment that I can do for my house or anywhere in the world. So once you start to get this picture together, it helps you really zero in on exactly what it is you're after. And so the biggest thing for me was that epiphany of I have reached the maturity level where like next week, as an example, I'm going to go on a work trip. I am completely confident that I'm going to go on this work trip and be exactly who it is that I'm supposed to be for everybody that I meet. Mm. Um, And I'm not sure if I'd have gone on the same trip four years ago, if I wouldn't already been like strategizing or like, okay, well, what am I going to have to do while I'm there? And you're going to Austin, man. Austin's pretty weird. Austin's a pretty weird spot. So yeah, it's like four years ago, you would have been wearing tie dye and uh, smoking things you shouldn't be smoking and all that. No, I don't know about all that, but man, I've certainly been hanging out. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, now it's like, hey, man, we can still hang out, but we're just going to season our speech with salt. We're going to we're going to carry ourselves the right way, get a lot of great work done, be kind, effective, meaningful, selective with our words. You know, it's just like have good, healthy boundaries, work out while I'm there since I'm on the program. You know, it's just like I, I'm finding like even the way I'm thinking about packing my bag. This sounds weird. I just haven't traveled a lot because of where we've been working, you know, maybe five times in three years. And I'm already thinking about, okay, well, what bag do I need to take so I could take my exercise clothes and all the stuff that I need to do? And it's just like, oh, who is this human being that's thinking about that? So it feels, it feels good. But I, you know, to your, to that question, the original question, like I just, I think it's, it's really, really important that you just gotta be able to, when that thing wells up in you, that you and I know this is the Holy spirit that's saying like, Hey, that's your flesh kicking in. You got to be willing to put that dog back in his cage and practice that discipline of leaning into who you need to be, like who God wants you to be instead of just striving to perform or be accepted or any of that stuff. And I, I think the same is true at the organizational level as it is at the personal level. I, I think there are so many entrepreneurs that create organizations or businesses to be all things to all people. And in reality, the entrepreneurs and teams that I've observed be most healthy are the ones that spend disproportionate amount of time answering the questions like, no, why do we exist? What do we stand for? Who am I and who are we? And then we're going to bring that version of ourselves as a business to the marketplace. And so it's it seems like it's the exact same thing in so many ways of like, okay, as a team, we're going to establish our boundaries and, and almost take an act or take a step of faith and trust that there are other people out there in the marketplace that will want to work with a person that's like us. And it may not be everyone. Yeah. That's in a, you know, you talked about, was it a scarcity mindset earlier? That to me is actually the definition of an abundance mindset of like us being us is going to be no, be more than enough, not only for us, but for everyone else that comes in contact with us, that's going to you know be able to do business with us. And I think that's just kind of where I'm at. I have realized that I can be who God made me to be, and I'm going to be able to figure the rest of it out mm-hmm. at this point. Like we we've lived in a way where we created bandwidth for ourselves and you know cushion for ourselves, and we can we can choose. 
we can be in control in a lot of ways of what it is we choose to say yes and no to in lots of different areas of our life now. And there's a lot of freedom in that. There's a lot of freedom and comfort in being able to say, like, this is the kind of life we want to make the next. This is what the last 10 years has been like. And there was a lot of good and there was a lot of hard in the last 10 years. And this is what we want the next 10 years to be like. And we're going to be super intentional about living into that. And I think having that own personal mission, vision, values kind of framework baked out in yourself and being able to say, I'm, I'm going to only work with and align myself with organizations that are completely okay with all that stuff being true about me. Yeah. And it doesn't even mean that they have to agree with it all. It just means they have to be okay with the fact that this is true. Like it's so neat. Our our number one core value is point to Jesus. And we are pretty vocal about that. Like he is our example and light of who we are pointing to. And what's so cool is, I mean, some of our best customers in the world are part of an Orthodox Jewish community in Tri-City area in New York. And I just love them to death. And we have the best conversations in the world and they keep me in line with make sure I'm theologically correct in the way I talk about the Old Testament. And it's, it's, it's so good, but it's like, they don't have to agree with everything that I believe about Jesus. It wouldn't be healthy for either of us if either of us was hostile to each other. And it just seems like that's a good perspective to come at it with, you know? You're right. You're, you're right. We live in a world today where people think acceptance and agreement are synonyms, but they're not. Acceptance and agreement are not synonyms. Acceptance is modeled by Jesus is I'm going to love you for who you are because we're all made in God's image. We all are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Like that is there is a universal acceptance of humans in that light because God is up here. We are down here. We are all equals. But just because I accept you as an equal doesn't mean I have to agree with everything that you say. But we can still work together. We can still create together. We can do all these things. I'm just, we're not going to get married or we're not going to do like, you know, there's, there's like layers to the relational equity that you can build with other people who are of a difference of opinion. And it's completely okay. Like some of my best, most vibrant working relationships in my career have been with non-believers. And that seems so contrary sometimes to some of the frameworks we build up in our own heads. Um, I do think <laughs> this I is going to, I got to share this with you. This is going to take someone off. I read a, uh, I read a review on our podcast. People can probably go read this on Apple podcasts right now, but it came through the other day. It was in February and uh, I was reading it and it was someone saying like, I consider myself a very devout Christian, and I am so disappointed that this podcast would have people on it that would be using cuss words and dirty language, and I'm just so disappointed, and I don't think I can listen to this anymore, and I don't think I can trust this anymore because I'm a Christian. And uh, like, I, I honestly, at first I was angry, and then I was just sad because I, 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 I think the sad part of me just says, man, like, the, the beauty of Christianity is we don't need everyone to be perfect right now. And like we, we, and it doesn't mean that we don't say what we believe. And I try my best not to use a bunch of, of dirt, like cuss words or words that would offend other people or words that people can't listen to this podcast with their kids. I try my best, but I'm not going to impose my value structure on someone else to such a degree that I say, if you don't take on my values, I refuse to talk to you. 
Like yeah. I just, I don't believe in that. That's not, I just don't believe that's Jesus. And that's and, actually intolerance. That's that, actually the definition of intolerance. And that's our world right now. And, and so often the right says, oh, the left is doing this. But then so often the left is saying, no, the right is doing this. And it's like, in reality, we're all doing this. And that's it would right. be way better if we just understand that acceptance does not constitute agreement. Yeah, that's right. But it should, it should constitute mutual respect a mutual desire for understanding, even if that means a difference of opinion at the end of the understanding and the ability to be able to break bread and have a conversation with every human being on the planet that the Lord brings your way. And I think people still live in mental caste systems sometimes, even though caste systems only exist in like far reaches of the world in today's day and age. And if you live in one of those places, I'll be praying for you, please get out because there's freedom to be had not being in one of those systems. I don't know, man. I, to me, this is where the church has really failed the world in a lot of ways. And I mean the big C church, not the physical buildings, in that we have lost sight of there are many members to one body, but there's only one head, which is Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he is the one that actually leads. None of the rest of all of the rest of us are in second or third or fourth or fifth or one millionth position, kind of doing the work of the Lord. We are actually not high and mighty we should be able to accept those that are in the fringe communities or that have a difference of opinion, or if we're conservatives and they're liberals, we should be able, we can find common ground with every single person. And that's what Jesus was able to do when he walked on the earth was he was able to meet the person, the actual need the person had, even if that wasn't the thing that showed up on the outside. Uh, You know, I think about, you know, the woman at the well and he's like, no, no, you don't actually need water. You know, you've had multiple, you didn't just have a husband, you've had multiple husbands. And, uh, and she's just looking at him like, what the heck's going on? And what happened was in that instant was Jesus accepted her, but he disagreed with the lifestyle. But he did it in a loving way that he was able to point her to the truth. And then she, you know, obviously we know what story goes from there. She ends up going back to the whole town and so on and so forth. And I, and, uh, and so I just, I don't know, I think. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times in the political discourse that is our world for the last two years of like, hey, what you're always going to get from me is what my honest opinion on it is. And if we disagree, guess what? I'm still going to accept you. We can go have dinner. We can talk about it more if you want to. We're just going to disagree. And that's okay. But the problem is, is people that are in disagreement with each other, their relationship follows suit. They can't remain in relationship with people that they have a disagreement about, which takes us full circle (laughs) all the way back to the beginning of the conversation about being a peacemaker instead of a peacekeeper. That's right. It's just, it's, it's so, it's critical to it. Well, and I mean, I think it applies directly to leadership too, because I think the temptation of leaders can be to say, I'm going to make it my personal mission to change this person. And uh, and sometimes on our team, it's not, I'm going to make it my personal mission to change this person. It's, I'm going to make it my personal mission to save this person. And it's like, mm-hmm. you, man. You don't do any of that anyways, by yeah, the way. You, you can't save people. Like, you cannot do that. And, and especially if you're, like, even if you're not a believer, you should recognize that you can't do that because it will be better for your future. If you are a believer, you know the one that does save people. And your job is not to save or change them. Your job is to point them to the one that does do those things. That's right. And, and like, Amen. I love that you use the the illustration of the woman in the well, because it's like she collided with Jesus and that's what changed her life. And the yeah. same is true for me. The same is true for you. The same is true for everyone is collide with Jesus and he will change your life. Yeah. You can't help but be different. It's an, it's an impossibility. Yeah. And when Jesus shows up, 
something's changing and it ain't going to be him. He's <laughs> yeah. so. Dang, that's so good, man. I, I knew this was going to be fun. I didn't know it was going to be this fun. What are you personally uh, most excited about right now, Trey? Getting healthy, man. Straight up. Like I have, and it's not a number. It's not a number on a scale. Let me say that. It is a lifestyle that I can sustain from now on. That's like how I've, by changing my definition of health, there's now not a finish line of like, okay, when I get there, I'm done. It's a, it's, it's, it's you know, our friend James Clear and the Atomic a- uh, Habits kind of repertoire of, I'm just going to sweat for 90 minutes every day. You know, I'm going to be the type of guy who doesn't eat until after 11 and he stops eating by six. You know, I'm going to be the kind of guy who reads 10 to 20 pages of a nonfiction book every day to keep my mind sharp. I'm going to be the kind of guy who tries to spend intentional time with my wife and my kids with regularity every single week. You know, it's just things like that. It's like if you if you have enough of those maxims that actually take root in your life and you mm-hmm. live them out, you can't help but end up healthy. And that's more where I'm going. That's what I'm most excited about right now. And every single thing that just came out of my mouth was not work, which makes me even more excited. Dang. I have no doubt right now that you're talking to some entrepreneurs and some leaders that don't necessarily view life or certainly work right now as a path like you just described, where it's just like, I'm just on the path and I'm just happy to be here, right? Like, I, and I'm just doing what today is. They view it as like a mountain that we have to get to the top of. And mm-hmm. one day there will be a day that I'm happy, content, and free. That just can't be right now. And they may even have awareness that they're on the mountain and not on the path. Like, what would your words of advice, wisdom, encouragement, challenge be to that man or woman, Trey? Hmm. I would say that when you're being quiet and you're really just sitting with your own thoughts, if you truly are unhappy, you won't be able to deny that you're unhappy. But I also would challenge you to say that happiness is inconsistent, right? Like it comes and goes. So you can't make any decisions off of a fleeting feeling. But if it's this perpetual thing that just nags at you a couple of times a week, turns into a couple of times a day, turns into, man, like something's off. Like there's normally a there there if that thing is happening. And so I would just challenge people to just to show an, a self-reflection on the inside of being able to check yourself and know if there really is something there or not and get some help for sure talk with your spouse or significant other, um, you know, be able to talk to a friend at the office, like make sure that you're pursuing the best you, not the best perception of you. Because again, like I said a minute ago, like I I just made the decision I was going to choose the best me and then going to choose the best me. I ended up getting something that was like, wow, I didn't know it could check all the boxes. Wow. It checks all the boxes. And then some, but you know, you and I talked about that yesterday. It's like, okay, well, that's pretty stinking cool. Um, (laughs) You know, and it doesn't, and you know what, sometimes the answer though is, is less, right? It is less. It is like, no, for a season, I'm going to do less. I got a, a friend of mine right now, she left her job and she's door dashing and she's like, I'm just doing it for six months. It's like brain free work. I just get the food, drop the food off. You know, it is what it is. And it's just like, that's pretty aggressive. I'm not sure that's the answer for everybody, (laughs) but I just think you've got to be able to have some introspection. Um, and some people in your corner that you can talk to about it. And to your point, as somebody who's tried to chase that mountain, it just gets steeper. Hmm. So just come off the mountain, man. Just come off the mountain and understand that you can find that you have enough when you really look 
down. And the last thing I'll say is nearness to the father shows you the provision that's in his hand. It's like, you got to be close to the father's chest to see what it is. He has provision wise in his hand for you. So, man, if you're really struggling, just get into the presence of God and, uh, the veil will lift and you'll get clarity and you know, he'll move on you and help you understand what it is you got to do. Mm. That is a good word. Praise God. Trey, I'm so grateful for your time and investment. Uh, I'm so uh, grateful for your willingness to roll with a pretty wide ranging and broad and uh, man, we covered so much, so much ground. And I just appreciate that. You know, I, I was thinking about this before we hopped on here today I feel like whenever we were both working at Ramsey, I feel like I would see you in the hallway and we would have the best five-minute discussions, like some of the best five-minute discussions. And then they would always end just like two threes on the Enneagram, whatever, in a conversation would be like, we're going to grab lunch sometime. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to, And then we never actually did it. And so I was thinking to myself, I was like, I think this is literally going to be, I think Friday or yes, no, yesterday was the longest I've talked to Trey, which was 30 minutes. And then today is now the second longest. And and uh, man, it's just such a delight. Like surface tray is nowhere near as fun and enjoyable as deep 90 minute conversation tray. So I, uh, so I'm now just, that means we actually have to have lunch though. There you, you go. We got to do on your many travels between wherever you go running in Colorado and doing all the stuff you do. When you come back, me and old Zach and you, Hattie B's or something, has got Ed Lee's, something in our future, we'll have us some good Nashville food. I'm stoked about it, man. Hey, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for making the time, and we'll see you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Well, man, I'm so grateful to Trey for his energy, for his passion, for his faithfulness, and for his commitment to never-ending growth. But even just as much as that, uh, his commitment to growing in a manner and way that is healthy. And I hope that you feel equally inspired and convicted by his story and by his perspective in this conversation. Y'all, real quick before we go, if you are interested in the practice of healthy growth, uh, we send more content just like this out every single week. We call it Worth It Wednesday, and that's because I think that most email isn't worth it. So every week we try to send out one that is worth your time and worth your energy. So every Wednesday, we send you a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. We call it Worth It Wednesday. If you want to sign up for that, you can do so at pathforgrowth.com or at the link that's in the show notes. Y'all, you know this. Our whole team is grateful for you. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.